Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man. And here is a man who is more comfortable in a sitting room than a petting zoo, my sophisticated friend, Eddie. How are you, T, Eddie? I'm doing great. I got a warm cup of tea here. I've known Professor Jorgensen, but um, I'm ready to talk about some Spider-Man and podcast. Yeah, you know, uh, Eddie, we've reached a milestone, not a not a happy one. This is the last Stan Lee issue we're going to be doing today. Super sad, but I think he puts it in the hands of someone competent. I hope. He does. He does. And you know who else is competent? Uh, we have a very special guest rejoining us. Uh, that's right. We are being rejoined today by Travis Bow. We are exhilarated to have you here, Travis. Well, how are you doing? Hey, fellas. I'm doing uh, really well. Excited to talk about uh, some Spider-Man. Uh, Travis, what makes issue 110 so appealing that you wanted to be on this podcast? You know, I... I really just have a soft spot for the Gibbon. And I I read these issues in my initial read through of Spider-Man and just, I don't know, was really taken by the character. And then I'll get into it later, but there's something that happens in the recent history that really made me fall in love with the character. That's great, Travis. Thank you for joining us on the podcast again. Uh, I got to take off for a little bit. James B., why don't you tell us about these books? All right. And Travis, you can definitely tell us later on, uh, maybe at the end, a little bit about what you read in the future. But for now, uh, I'd like to start with 110, and that is the Marvel Comics Group proudly presents Superstar, Super Stanley, and Jazzy John Romita with letterer John Costanzo. In a book that promises one of the greatest superstars in the mighty Marvel Universe, The Birth of the Gibbon. Uh, Travis, you have read this issue. Let's get the listeners' expectations aligned with this title and this description. Is this accurate or an oversell? It's, uh, it is absolutely not accurate. This is a classic Marvel, you know, Stan Lee oversell. That's, this is all just marketing drivel here on the cover. You don't think the Gibbon is this amazing new super, you know, character that we're going to have for years and, and the birth of a great new superstar? Sadly, no. <laughs> I, I, think, I think I agree with you. <laughs> also, I got a little bone to pick with, uh, with Stan here. Uh, no, no love for the letterer, John Costanza. Uh, usually there are four or five other names credited on the issues and he'll give them, you know, fancy, fun, fun titles for everybody. And here the book is only credited with three people. And, you know, Super Stan Lee, Jazzy John Romita, and John Costanza. So I think we should, get, you know, give him a fancy name of his own. Like, I don't know, John Consistent Costanza? <laughs> well, even he could have been maybe just John Costanza to make it like a joke. I like that. I don't, really, I, don't, I don't even know this guy. But uh, I think yours is better, actually, because with being consistent because he does letter at least the next issue. There's a spoiler, but I am worried that he could leave after that. Uh, speaking of worried, uh, Peter is worried that Gwen will choose flash over him. He's also got no photos from his recent battles and he needs money in a fit of stupidity. He hurls his camera, which is caught by agile Martin blank, a human character drawn with that quasi-moto ape-like features. Uh, Martin is depressed about being freakish looking and Spider-Man tries to cheer him up. Martin gets four full pages of his backstory, beginning with his love of the zoo and ending with him working as an ape-man for a week in the circus. Uh, Travis, 
Four pages is a lot for a first appearance origin story. Morbius didn't get any in issue 101. Your thoughts on Stanley's Gibbon origin? You know, you're right. It it, it is a lot of uh, of ink to devote to a a character like this, but I'm really glad that they did it because you know, he, throughout this and the next issue, I think he comes across as a really he's just a great sad sack, lovable loser type. And I, and like I said, I have, have a soft spot for the character. I don't know why he just really speaks to me. But uh, yeah, any character in TV, movies, you know, comics that has that simple vibe and gets really upset when he thinks people are laughing at him. You know, I, I think, I don't know, there's something there to, to pity. I'll jump in with you, too. You're right. Having having just read this for the first time, he's definitely a sympathetic character. You're supposed to feel bad for him. And he's mistreated throughout both of these books. There's a couple times when maybe he overreacts, but it's really set up uh, that this is going to happen to him. And it's it's kind of like it's not his fault. You you are cheering for him, and um, I'm glad that you chose to uh, come on to to support him. <laughs> Speaking of heartbreak, there is some about to happen in Peter and Harry's apartment as an exhausted Peter arrives home where Aunt May and Gwen continue their fight from last issue about calling Peter a boy. Flash stops by and Gwen makes it clear to everyone to stop making fun of sleeping Peter and that she loves him. She says lines like, Oh, Peter, it breaks my heart to see you like this. I love you so very much. And maybe he's not your cup of tea, but he's all the man I'll ever want. Hold on for a moment. I need to get another cup of tea. While Eddie gets his tea, Travis, uh, do you have any thoughts on Gwen during this exchange in the book? Yeah, um, you know, my my, this falls into my pet peeve with a lot of these books in in this time period of Marvel. You know, especially with there's always love triangles, and maybe it has to do with like, you know, the the swinging '60s era that I know we're not mm. we're no longer in the '60s. We're this is 1972, but. Free love. I, I, yeah, I think it still carries over, especially I th- I think Stan's understanding of <laughs> of that still applies of what he right. thinks. You know, the people are just date- dating freely and everything, and um, but you know, for me, it's like Pete and Gwen appear to be a couple, and the Pete Gwen relationship is meant to be you know the the Spider Man's one true love for such a long time. And their relationship is so fragile that Peter is worried on a whim Flash is going to swoop in and replace him. Well, let me, let me jump in here. Did, you know, there's a moment where, like, Peter's unconscious, of course, mm. and sleeping while this whole I love him forever Flash be nice to him happens. And then the minute yeah. he kind of, like, groggily wakes up, you know, she's walking out with Flash. Right. So, I mean, he's always worried about her. Yeah, and and Peter needs to learn to trust that Gwen loves him, and Gwen needs to set boundaries for people like Flash, and then Flash needs to respect those boundaries and honor his friendships. You know, and I think those those boundaries extend to Aunt May as well. Uh, Eddie, hope you're enjoying your tea. Uh, did you have anything to add here? Peter Parker is a man, not a boy. Gwen Stacy is right. Well, speaking of Gwen Stacy, uh, Peter has some nightmares, as I mentioned, about when he sees flashing Gwen. He has nightmares about them. And then he has more nightmares about Aunt May leaving him, which is 
an interesting thing that's going to happen later. Um, After this 12-hour nap, or nightmare really, he wakes up and he goes off as Spider-Man to go find Aunt May in her apartment. Uh, The Gibbon shows up, though, and in their exchange, he he basically tells Spider-Man he's looking to be uh, his sidekick, like the vigilante to Spider-Man's peacemaker. (laughs) And Spider-Man laughs at him. It's really, I had to read it twice to make sure, like, how much he he was insulting him. He, like, laughs at him, like, oh, you crazy guy. I can't believe this is what you were doing. And it sets off, like, a short fight which I think is required in every comic book. There has to be some kind of, of fight in a comic. And then Spider-Man swings off kind of joking. Um, from afar, you see a pair of eyes watching the scene with sinister intentions. Uh, Travis, I had no idea who that was when I was when I was reading it. Now, I know you might have read this before, so you kind of knew. Uh, this is really a two-part story, but that's how issue 110 ends. Uh, what did you think of 110 by itself? Overall, like like... You know, I really enjoy the setup of of the uh, Gibbon and the stuff with Peter and Gwen. You know, in a in a small bubble like this, I didn't care for it. You know, in the story overall, there's not a lot of Spider-Man action, and then we get one of one of my least favorite aspects of Spider-Man. You know, jerk Spider-Man. <laughs> yes, we know him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Peter Parker can be a jerk quite often, but it's not all the time that you get jerk Spider-Man. So, and like, I know it's not his responsibility to welcome Marty Blank into the superhero club, you know, but he could at least treat him with enough respect to be like, you know, I'm a solo act, not looking for a partner. Maybe we can go (laughs) swing it around sometime. (laughs) Sure. You know, show you the ropes, that sort of thing. Uh, But instead, you know, he just laughs it off and, and, he doesn't know Martin's backstory. He doesn't know how tragic, you know, how rough of time he's had it. So, and, and he's had so he has so few friends. Yeah. Right now, you got like Joe Robbie, Doc Connors. I mean, technically, the people in his little friend group at the moment. But there's been times he has no one. Like he had to rely on Hobie Brown to bail him out a couple times. This is a situation where here's another person he could do a solid to. And uh, yeah, and have another person in his corner instead for whatever reason, you know, it didn't even, it didn't even set up Peter unless I missed it with a good enough reason why he was like this. It wasn't like at the beginning of the issue. He's like, oh, I, I had this situation and I got to make sure that I work alone. Like, they didn't yeah. even set that up. They just had him laughing it off. Yeah. It's so rare that, that Spider-Man makes friends, you know, here he could have had an ally, but instead Ultimately, he made an enemy. Thankfully, recently, when Kazar showed up, Kazar comes out later to, to bail him out. So at least he didn't burn that bridge. But this bridge right. does seem to be burnt. Um, speaking of Kazar, that storyline is not forgotten. And it's going to be brought up again as Stanley presents a John Romita, Jerry Conway production. Now it's Stanley Presents, you see, Travis. Uh-huh. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man 111 to stalk a spider. In this book, an injured Craven the Hunter is revealed to be the character that James B. didn't know who it was in 110. Uh, he arrives with his busted arm and talks to the Gibbon, retelling his Savage Land battle with Kazar, which was in Amazing Spider-Man 104. He convinces the Gibbon that they both hate Spider-Man. Meanwhile, Spider-Man is seen breaking into Aunt May's apartment. And when I say seen, he's seen by like uh, like a neighbor. Um, where he finds a note that she's left for a while and it's for the best. And 
Travis, they have like the note. You can you have to sort of read the note like it's just kind of held at an angle and just you see keywords. Uh, somehow this news reaches the Daily Bugle, the news from the neighbor or whatever. And Spider-Man ends up giving the letter to Joe Robbie so he will no longer be accused of kidnapping an old lady. What? What? What just happened here? <laughs> I mean, there's so many leaps here. At most, Joe Rob Robertson should be questioning Spider-Man about robbing a sweet old lady. Uh, kidnapping is a weird conclusion for those cops to make. Like, they saw him leave by himself, and as far as anyone knows, <laughs> she hasn't been missing for days. Right, they didn't they didn't check in with any of, any of her family, for example. Like, you know, hey, there's pictures of this kid all over the place, and yeah. it's just weird. Um, uh, another weird thing is that it jumps over to Craven, and it starts off sort of like the middle of a, a situation where Craven apparently has been giving Martin Blank, you know, the gibbon, a bunch of bad-tasting herbs, and the Gibbon's like, oh, I'm not eating more, any more of these. And he's like, no, no. And he's like, no. And then he's like, just eat a few more. And then all of a sudden the Gibbon gets angry and then he gets strong and he fights with Craven. And then at a certain point, they're like looking at each other, like staring into each other's <laughs> eyes. And then he's all of a sudden a mindless puppet to be controlled by Craven, even from afar. Um, Eddie, they discuss a mind lock telepathic bond. What did you think of this super long, page-long explanation of how this whole mind control works? Can Doctor Strange's amulet get us out of this conversation? Yeah, I felt the same way at first, um, but I felt, and then I felt they were trying to set up the Gibbon to not really be a bad guy. So they have this justification again, kind of like with the Prowler of why he's doing bad things. Um, Travis, were you thinking something like this as well? Yeah, I think so. You know, they they don't want him to be an outright villain. They want him to be someone who's easily manipulated by, you know, he's he's he wants to be Spider-Man's partner. That goes poorly. He goes to Craven or Craven comes to him, takes takes advantage. So I think they've they've done a really great job of establishing why someone like Martin would fall in with a character like Craven, you know. They, they took that time, like you said, the four pages to show us where he came from. He's looking for, you know, something, some a father figure type, a friend, a partner, mentor. You know, he just, he, this guy needs guidance. And and Spider-Man tossed him aside. So, you know, he misses the part where that's his problem. Yeah. And Spider-Man also misses the part about when he, when Peter calls Gwen uh, to tell her, like, oh, by the way, Aunt May <laughs> left. And then Gwen feels, like, really bad about it. Uh, right, Eddie? Peter Parker is a man, not a boy. Gwen Stacy is right. Uh, yes, you said that earlier. Uh, hey, Eddie, where was this brashness last episode <laughs> uh, when I was arguing with our guest Ian Cooper about this? Um, anyway, Spider-Man goes out and defeats the Gibbon in a four-page fight. And Spider-Man, at the end, senses that Martin Blank was not in control of his own actions. Uh, Craven feels resentful. And on the last panels, he has said that instead of the taste of revenge, he only has the taste of ashes. Um, Travis, Eddie, before we talk about the ending, let me take care of some sponsor business. Um, today's sponsor is Craven's Sweet Merlot Wine Sauce. In 1957, Craven the Hunter traveled east to start a beefsteak tomato importing business. Meanwhile, his half-brother Dimitri had been working on herbs to change one's looks. They merged their companies and formulas into a tomato sauce that allowed one to control another if eaten in excess. Now with the addition of Merlot wine, this new product can be served to your loved ones and they will listen to your commands for up to 30 minutes. 
No more yucky tasting mind control broths. Just use Craven's Sweet Merlot wine sauce. Side effects include long-term headaches, rage, and depression. See their ad in Miniature Donkey Magazine. Product not legal in California or Texas. Eddie, are you ready to eat some spaghetti with Craven Sweet Merlot wine sauce? You know, James B., I'm not terribly interested in this product. It sounds kind of risky. Eddie, it's just like a regular sauce, except for the mind control and the side effects. I don't know why you don't want your family to enjoy a nice macaroni dinner. They, they need the carb load, Eddie. Uh, I'm afraid not. I, I'm just not interested in... Okay, I'll, uh, I'll check you with our guest instead. Yeah, Travis, what do you think? I'm sure enjoying it. <laughs> That's funny, because you're being mind-controlled. I get it. <laughs> Sorry. See, Travis, see, Travis enjoys it. <laughs> hey, James B., thanks for asking. Now let me ask you something. Um, okay. <laughs> do you know where your aunt is right now? Uh. <laughs> That's okay, James B., Sometimes ants aren't home. Sometimes they are home. With Schrodinger's Aunt Chow, you never have to wonder where your aunt is again. I know what you're thinking, James B. How does a can of Aunt Chow help me find my aunt? Well, that's the easy part. The radioactive markers are mixed right into the human-grade food product. Is there? Is this another sponsor in the middle of our show? Do, do, do you have your own sponsor, Travis? Don't worry about that. The radioactive markers are mixed right into the human-grade food product. She'll have a great meal, and you'll sleep easy knowing she's well-fed and can be tracked anywhere in the world. How about you, Eddie? I'm afraid not. I'm, I'm just not interested. Why not? Because I don't think this sponsor's very good for me. Hey, James B., does this sound like a like something you'd want to invest in? Yeah, I'd love to give my aunt um, radioactive chow food so I can keep track of her. This is a great idea. Yes. I love it so much. That's all good stuff. I, I We had apparently two great sponsors. Thank you so much. One thing that I don't think is great is I really do like 110 and 111. I'm coming away with like, these books are kind of cool, but there are some parts that are a little less believable. Mm. Uh, Travis, I'll give you three choices. Okay. You let me know what you think the least believable of these three choices are in issue 111. Here we go. That you could have mind control jungle herbs. That the bugle is printing Aunt May is kidnapped by Spider-Man. Or that Spider-Man can tell that Martin Blank the Gibbon is being controlled. Which one do you think like felt the worst to you? Well, I, I think you know Craven is a bit of a chemist, a little bit of a biologist. He's created uh, serums and formulas before. So I think he could use some jungle herbs to create a mind control. Good. It's a good point. You know, I, I'm, I think you're convincing me. Um, Spider-Man, you know, knowing that, that Martin is being controlled, I, I chalk that up to his spider sense and it maybe it's buzzing, but it's not a, it's not as harsh of a tingling as he might normally right. feel. That's true. Spider-Man has shown that he sense a danger and sometimes he doesn't sense a danger and, as long as it's not being uh, taken away from him, some of the villains do know how to remove his spider mm -hmm. sense, including Craven. But you're right; that that is possible. So that leaves you one choice. Yeah, got to go with uh, the bugle printing that Aunt May is kidnapped. And, and was it because uh, it happened like in 30 minutes, and it was already on <laughs> basically <laughs> it was already in the presses, and um, yeah, that was that was a bit of a stretch. It's too bad that uh, she hadn't been eating any. Um, uh, what was that product called again? Schrodinger's Aunt Chow. Oh, yes, of course. Anyone else have something to add? Um, the one thing that, that 
especially with the Gibbon that I noticed in this issue, they they make a big deal about Craven's potion, you know, taking him through a, a metamorphosis. You know, it's changing him, and they even show his face across like you know six or seven versions of his face, and he gets angrier looking. But I kind of wish that it actually created some sort of change within him, made him a little bit more Planet of the Apes people. Kind of, yeah. Um, now I know that if if Craven is basing that off of his own serum, you know, Craven doesn't turn into a monster. Right. It is more of a, an internal change. But with someone like the Gibbon and and spoilers for future Gibbon stories, but I don't think he shows up in Amazing Spider-Man ever again. So I don't think it's going to be you know stepping on your toes later. Um, Gibbon gets retconned uh, to be a mutant, which explains his agility, his strength, that sort of thing. I I would like Craven's formula had sort of jump-started something within the Gibbon's body to to make him more of an animal. How insightful. Eddie always likes when people have uh, interesting facts like that. I can't wait to hear more. Please continue. Well, actually, we don't want to hear more, Eddie, because we want to wrap this issue up before we get get too long here. Uh, Travis, why don't you tell us um, one thing that you didn't get to bring up about yourself and how people can find you? I, I do a couple podcasts. One is a comic book movie review podcast called Real Comic Heroes. Possibly more relevant is my other podcast, Marvel Events Timeline, and the beginning of Marvel Comics happens 20 years prior to Fantastic Four in the form of the birth of, of Timely Comics when they introduced you know Namor, the Submariner, and the Human Torch. No, not that Human Torch. And uh, so we started back there in 1939 with uh, Timely Comics, and we're going to be going through Timely Comics, Atlas Comics, and then eventually Marvel Comics and talking about big events in chronological order. Well, I'll tell you that, uh, you know, the way that we're covering Spider-Man chronologically, you're going to cover, you know, Marvel Comics chronologically. So people who listen to this should definitely check that out. Uh, uh, Eddie, are you back yet? (laughs) Yeah, I'm here. I feel like you haven't been that present in the podcast. (laughs) I had a lot of things to do. Sorry, James B. All right. Well, do you want to tell the listeners how they could uh, find us? Of course. You can email us anytime at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com. Or you can find us at Twitter at Let's Read Spidey. <laughs> I'll let you guys do the close since I've not been here too much today. Sounds good. This is James B. Joined by... Eddie! And... Travis. And Travis, why don't you take it away with the close? And remember, listeners... Don't let your neighbors see you leave your aunt's house when she's not home because... You will get blamed for the kidnapping of your aunt. Goodbye. 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 Uh, Travis, thank you. First of all, thanks for uh, thanks for doing the podcast. Seriously, you did a great job today. Oh, thank you. Uh, I- I really like this show, and, and coming on it is really fun. Oh, you're 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 an excellent guest. Eddie likes to swoon over <laughs> the guests, but I, I I'm going to swoon over my my Travis Bill guest. But um, 
uh, the gimmon, really? <laughs> I'm just like, what did I? <laughs> what? Yeah. What's the real uh, reason? Yeah. So in the in the Nick Spencer run, it you know, which I think started in 2018, I think, but he did a storyline. It, ironically, it's a Craven storyline called Hunted. Okay. And Craven was rounding up all of the animal themed villains, <laughs> you know, Do rhino, they- scorpion, vulture, like all of them. <laughs> Okay. And so he was kind of creating like a gauntlet for Spider-Man to have to deal with all these characters. Uh. And so the Gibbon is, is part of that, that crew. And at some point or another, the vulture um, ends up attacking the Gibbon okay. and uh, leaving him for dead. And Spider-Man gets there just in time. And the Gibbon is lying there bleeding out, dying. And his friend spider-man is there to comfort him and says you know it it's okay because i know that i'm not alone you know uh sorry so, i'm getting that's i'm wow. getting chills just just wow. talking about it. it's it is one of the most heartbreaking wow. moments in a comic i've read in a long time it's a beautiful moment um wow. Yeah, it's sorry if to spoil no, it, spoil no. it like that, but hey, it's, that's why we'll put this after the show so nobody really, you know, yeah. if they don't want to hear it, yeah. then. Uh, but that's I don't think anybody cares about a forty-six year spoiler. <laughs> okay, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, cool. Thank you for thank you for sharing it. I've uh, I maybe I'll check it out online. You know, yeah, be, I, uh, I recommend that's a good uh, Spider-Man event. The the whole hunted arc.